0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tribe Method podcast, where we help gym owners, coaches, and trainers run better businesses and inspire healthier humans. My name is Evan Bartis. I'm your host and the head of marketing here at Tribe, a powerful gym management platform designed to help you build your fitness community. Now, let's get started. Okay. So why don't we just start let's uh let's roll right in here and just kick things off um jp why don't you in- introduce yourself tell us uh you know for those of, of those of the few people who might not know who you are uh what you have accomplished over the past few years and and kind of what your uh what your place in the fitness industry is right now
1: absolutely so first off you know at Evan, just thanks for having me on. Thanks for caring to listen to what I may or may not have to say that can be of any value to anybody. Uh, my name is JP. For those of you that don't know, I am the CEO and founder of Brick Nation. Just a quick background on it, without going into any any too heavy details and bore anyone. Started in 2010, West Hollywood. Came from a background of owning traditional membership-based martial arts locations in South Florida. Had a whole bunch of those. I was basically one of the youngest multi-location owners of that time and if you're looking for a, a timeline that was like in the two early 2000s before the big you know the big market crash so i had have i had almost a decade of membership recurring business experience prior to getting into the crossfit world and because i was at the you know the amp, the high level amateur and pro level of uh, of the world of kickboxing and professional fight sports I had a very strong understanding of the protocols necessary to kind of transition into this business. So I want people to know that because it wasn't like, it wasn't like I woke up under a rock one day and was like, I want to start a CrossFit gym. I was in the membership business prior to going in, but I think all that did was gave me not only the validity to have these kind of calls and conversations, but it really set me up on a platform properly to to, uh, do brick right from the start. And we'll get more into that. So Brick started 2010. Based on where the CrossFit Games was at in Carson, California, where the industry was, my background of uh, branding, business management, team development, previous in the martial arts world, I feel like we really had a lot of the proper ingredients to set off on a successful start. We didn't start with uh, endless bank accounts. We did it very organically. I had a close-knit team. We were well trained. We went through the processes. We had systems, in, you know, implemented early on, and we really used that to help us go from you know the first excitement of 25 members to the 50 member goal, to the 75, to the 125, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And so, using that growth chart, that helped me propel myself because I knew from the start Brick Nation would be a multi-location concept and brand. And so really everything we did from the beginning was setting us up for that plan, that kind of long-term plan. However, we were focused on today, right? We knew we had an idea of what we wanted tomorrow to look like, but we were really most focused on how today would go and how today would end. And so uh, in a nutshell, Brick grew from one location in West Hollywood all the way out to nine at our peak eventually selling off some of these individual licensed locations which are either still in operation under the brick banner or possibly under uh, have have rebranded and we can talk openly and honestly of maybe why or why not they've done that i think it's really important for people to understand that not every location is going to work not just mine but that includes yours as well and that's an honest conversation we have to have because no matter how many um marketing gurus with mustaches and big muscles you hire at ten thousand dollars or uh, phenomenal consultants with a thousand clients they may not be able to save you that is the bottom line if they tell you otherwise it's already a lie right because some of the greatest harvard minds with hundreds of millions of dollars behind them have been able to succeed because at some point businesses just may or may not work that's the way the universe goes it's the law of natural selection on on a business platform and so you you Take that story to where we are today. We continue to operate an IP company searching for proper licensed partners across the United States. We've got the headquarters location in Los Angeles, which is still thriving to this day. Uh, We're really excited that, you know, from an employment standpoint, we have some of our original employees from 10 years ago that are still operating within the organization, which is pretty cool. So not only does BRIC pride itself on having a low attrition rate when it comes to members, but... Uh, even more awesome is that we've got a low attrition rate when it comes to our staff, you know, our team. And uh, so here we sit. We'll probably talk a little bit more about you know where Brick is headed into twenty twenty and beyond. But ultimately, that's what it is, right? We're a functional fitness center. We started with uh, from the get with only two training floors. One was mostly devoted to introing and onboarding or uh, academies, whatever you call them at at that time. And then our boot camp or our, what we call our BX program. And then our main training floor, which was for functional fitness or is better known to the, to the public as CrossFit. And so just to keep it really simple, so people understand the uh, the schematics of where we started was 5,000 square feet uh, with limited parking in the center of West Hollywood. And we were not, not the front space on the main street. We we're actually the back, the back space, but we had ability to get frontal, uh, visual on a main street, which is one of the reasons why we were willing to take the risk of being behind the main space. And, and we how, how, you able to, how were you able to get that? How was I able to get to the front space?
0: Yeah, uh, the frontal, yeah. How oh, you were to uh, have signage there to, to
1: pull people back. A, a lot of it was just organic, how the location was placed. The parking lot was kind of shared. You could see it from the street. So, uh, you know, it was by strategic signage, maybe an A-frame sign, but we really didn't have street front uh vis- you know uh visibility outside of putting a banner on the parking gate yeah you know and even that was against city code so we got fined a few times but we figured that you know in a period of a year if we got fined two thousand dollars that was cheaper than trying to advertise Or you know that was our cost of marketing basically
0: right so you're at uh five thousand square feet on uh, in the first one in a back back uh, uh property lot then, you, where are you, I guess, what are the breakdowns right now of the way the business is modeled? Is it all the same across each location in terms of, let's say, I, I guess, I think in terms of revenue breakdown to understand a business model. So, I think, you know, if it's 75% class based revenue, you know, group classes, uh, we do 15% is PT, and then the rest is maybe merch and, uh, you know, store sales. How, how do you guys kind of break that down? And is it structured similarly across all locations?
1: Yeah, you know, in the law of large numbers, for the sake of conversation, they all generally map themselves similar. What we do find is that in our more densely populated cities, and even when we're heat mapping new locations, we understand that when you go into what they would call maybe a tier 1, 1A, 1B, 1C level city, or tier 2A city, you you may have a higher densely uh, populated Amount of sales that are focused in a class pack setting, right, or a prepaid. So what that would mean is, let's say for New York, Brick New York has a higher uh, financial breakdown of people that purchase class packs or prepaids because they are either more travel uh, intensive in their job, or they understand the uh, the way that you can amortize the savings over prepaying for uh, packages and classes. So they'll go through it. You know, you have a heavy, you know, heavy, heavily based financial industry there. So their whole idea is dollars and cents. So if they say, wait a minute, I can save 15% if I prepay a year. And if I come this many times a week, times this many months, et cetera, et cetera, I get the savings. It makes sense. Let me put it, let me prepay it in cash or put it on a credit card. Right. So, and we want to play to those strengths in those types of cities.
0: Right. And the services that you offer at each of these locations is, is it the following that I just said? Is it group classes, PT, or personal coaching? Uh, do you do nutrition at all? Like, could you give me a breakdown of how that kind of looks in terms of you know, revenue structure? We do.
1: The only thing I would clarify in there is that we are not a gym that pushes PT heavily. Okay. And I know that that's a model that's out there right now, group PT, small group PT. We, we offer it. It's, it's, not like, uh, it's not something on our main menu.
0: Yeah. We do a lot of class packs and a lot of recurring monthlies, right? Yeah, EFT is the bulk of what we do. EFT, yeah, monthly EFTs. Okay, perfect. I think that orients us uh, pretty nicely. Um, we would definitely will come back to kind of your future plans specific to brick sure. and where you th- see things going in the market. Um, yeah,
1: Evan, if you don't mind me just chiming in real quick, yeah. I, one of the reasons why I think it's important for for the listeners to understand that is so they know that brick has not evolved itself to where it is today on some sort of ancillary revenue stream that we're not sharing. So that when you look at break and go, Oh, JP can do X, Y, and Z. Uh, did he do that from membership revenue? Because there's a lot of people out there that are doing a lot of flash and dash with their, with their fitness and their consulting. But what they're not telling you is that the bulk of their revenue is actually coming from means outside of their gym. And so Every, everything I'm telling you is from a core organic growth that has been directly created from membership-based business. That's what I do. That's what I do best. That's what I know.
0: Perfect. And you mentioned, you know, you've grown quite fast over a short period of time. You've grown, uh, I think, quite large in terms of business structure to have currently, did you mention nine locations? There was. Now, and now you've paired back. Are you at, what are you at now? What's the total now?
1: There's five. Five total. With, um, with a, couple, a couple that are in development phase.
0: So going through that growth, I mean, there, there's a lot I know that comes with that. Even, you know, tried ourselves. Uh, by rule, we still classify as a startup. Um, and we're doing quite well. But, you know, you go through a lot of different growth phases of ebbs and flows. And we see it all the time in our gym owners uh, where they go, and you know we've actually seen 127% on average we have 127% revenue growth over a 12 month period for people then there tends to be some level of stagnation for for 3 to 6 months where there's like um it's just like in fitness where you plateau and then they start hitting another growth curve and so we're learning on on what that second growth phase looks like for a lot of gyms who go from 0 or go from 50 and they end up at 200 and then all of a sudden they they kind of struggle not necessarily to continue increasing uh, members past 200, but to continue balancing revenues uh, and, right. and true profit structure. Um, so my question to you is actually, as you're probably going through a lot of this historically in your growth phase, did you A, have have like a, a mentor that you were able to lean on? Or you were you a much better or faster just self-learner and self-teacher? or um, yeah, or, or were you kind of paying somebody on the side to, to mentor you. With Tell me about that kind
1: of relationship. Yeah, you know, growing up from an early, uh, uh, you know, from early, like, teen development, I always felt like I had some pretty good mentors in my life, you know, because I grew up in the world of martial arts, and your martial arts teacher is, if you've got a good one, is basically like your mentor, right? They're trying to help keep you on a very disciplined, positive track of, uh, of self-development, physical development, et cetera, right? Spiritual, emotional, mental development. And so even in my early teens, I was being influenced by my martial arts instructor to read Stephen Covey books, you know, and to get involved in the the world of Tony Robbins and really try to look in developing myself in some of those most, you know, informative years. And so I was very fortunate in that regard. And then as I got older, I just took to it and I really enjoyed it. I I researched and developed more skills in the world of NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, and the ideas of how to build stories and create pictures within your stories, et cetera, right? And so I always took to mentors who I felt like could service me more on those areas of development than just coming in and saying, okay, JP, where are you at today on your business? Where do you wanna go tomorrow? Let's focus on that. Um, because as you know, as well as I do, there's a million of those out there now, right? right? And um, I think for many people, they need to focus less on working on their business and more on working on themselves because a lot of times your business is a direct reflection or a ma- even worse, a hyper magnified reflection of your biggest uh, negative nuances, right? The, almost like the things that are the, the, if you took your most negative personality traits, because we all have them, magnify those and those will generally surface first in your business.
0: Right. That totally makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, so it sounds like a lot of that stuff, you're doing a lot of self-teaching with a lot of bouncing around and learning for yourself and quickly iterating. And there's not necessarily a, um, you know, a high level individual who you're going to almost as a business consultant, like you said, in, in doing a business analysis
1: of where you're at now
0: and projecting a roadmap for the next 24 months. It sounds like yeah, that but, wasn't really
1: happening. Yeah, because, you know, the thing is, uh, and this, again, this is just the way I feel right of course yeah you if you're hiring a consultant call what you will right and and they're putting you on a track where there doesn't seem to be an end of their consulting they're no longer a consultant they're an employee right they're so your overhead yeah just call them what they are like if somebody can't come into your business and come in dissect it understand where the broken parts are help you re- reassemble it while maybe mentoring you on things that you can use for your own personal development, then really what you're doing is you're either hiring a therapist or an employee, and they might be a mix of both, because now you're becoming either you're, you're knowingly or unknowingly reliant on the information they're providing you, Yeah. right? You're seeking to them for these answers, when ultimately some of the biggest breakthroughs a mentor or somebody who can assist you will give you is the ability for them to make you forced to look within inside of you and then have that personal breakthrough like oh wow like cl- people that i work with i would rather take a few phone calls say a bunch of stuff that ruffles feathers that are all truths that make them look within their own business and have them write me back and be like hey man I was thinking about some of the stuff you said, and then I started thinking about these things and those things, and this is what I came back with. And it's like, yeah, you're right. We didn't even talk about that on your call. Right. Right? But the things that we did talk about, either pushed enough buttons, lifted enough rocks, made you think enough internally where you said to yourself, oh, wow, I actually don't need JP. I need to go do this.
0: Right. So how do you feel about the difference between a business consultant then and someone saying, you know, go and be introspective and think internally about yourself? Because the I guess the way I think about it is you're supposed to focus on yourself, right? That's what you're talking about. How does someone do that? How does someone focus on themselves instead of necessarily leaning on a, a business consultant? Because to me, you know, as a, as a gym owner, if I put myself in a gym owner's shoes, paying Ten thousand, five thousand, three thousand dollars on a one-time fee, which seems a lot like a band-aid to solve a problem. I'm of course expecting results, but it sounds like what you're saying is there's a big difference between paying a business consultant to get you or help you get from point A to point B, because after that business consultant leaves, if they ever do, you're going to revert back to the same challenges. Am I understanding that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Evan, let's let's take a few steps back, and, and again, we're going to start. This may ruffle and pull you know, ruffles of feathers. This may excite a few people and that's okay, right? Um, I'm fired up on caffeine. It's still early enough in the morning. We can get ripping, right? And we're jam sessioning right now. So uh, we might have a few hits or a few strikeouts in this sesh. So catch this. Here's the issue as one of them that I see. In In the, not just in our industry, but we'll speak because this is the industry we're speaking on. Cool. We have a low barrier to entry, as we've heard a million people say a million times. Well, with a low barrier entry, you allow people to get in that maybe aren't ready yet. Okay, so now what happens is, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do analogies, and I'm gonna con- have my ADD work for us, and then I'm gonna continue to bring us back into focus. So I'm gonna build the story right now. We're in an industry where almost anybody can get in for for just about any amount of money with zero business acumen. No historical past on operating or running a business, leading teams, teaching and educating people, uh, seeing physical, uh, physical uh, uh, I guess, seeing movements, uh, learning how to correct movements, understanding how to verbalize that correction, etc. right? Think about all these different components I just threw out there. Now, you have a matrix of information that our industry allows you to get into without having almost any of them or at all right you can be a doctor with a pocket full of money and yes you're great at learning you're great at using your hands you're great at at bedside manner but that doesn't always necessarily translate okay right because i can't go into a dentist chair right now with somebody in there and say hey i'm gonna i'm gonna go ahead and extract your teeth because i read about it overnight and i feel like i have good cueing, good social interaction it just doesn't translate all right it's not dollars for dollars so you take that idea you bring people into our world, they open up a business and they think right away, well, I'm a good person. I'm smart. Why isn't my business working? And now here comes Johnny Consultant. Well, it's not working because you need better systems procedures. You need best practices. Pay me $500 a month and I'll teach them to you. Oh, that's what I need. Okay. Let me pay you. And you go, whoa, wait a minute. We just missed all of the required fundamentals the tactile fundamentals of how to make your business work before you even got started you went in with a loaded gun and started firing before you were even ready let alone aimed right so it's okay in business at times to ready fire and then start to aim if you have enough bullets bullets may mean money might mean resources who knows what it means but if you're just if you're not even ready and you just start firing you, may, you don't even have bullets. So first got to get ready and have bullets. Now you've got bullets and you just start firing. And before you were actually able, um, uh, ready to aim, you ran out of fire. Right? You ran out of bullets. So you can take this analogy and you say, this is what's happening in our industry. People are jumping in, just firing. Just trying to shoot bullets everywhere. When they run out of bullets, they go, oh. I need more bullets. Bullets means let's just use money. Now they go get more money and they pay a consultant. But they're still out there firing because every day you got to keep your doors open. You got to try to sign up new members. So they're just constantly getting themselves further and further buried under when ultimately they didn't start properly. They didn't get themselves ready. Ready is the key term that many people are missing before they go into not just our business, but any business. Because Evan, as you know, most businesses fail. That is hard data, historicals over decades, modern decades of historical data that more businesses will fail than succeed. And I think Ursa came out with the large number that said something like 98% of all fitness businesses fail in the first year. So take the 2%. That's what's left that's actually doing it. So 98 out of 100 of you that are out there that are failing, uh, if you say that now out of them only a certain number can be saved, many of them, no matter how many consultants they hire, will be three, four years down the line and realize they're still not taking a living wage home. They're working a second job. They're working 90 hours a week. You know, they're in that startup phase basically for the rest of their life, struggling to get take-home pay, thinking that it's because of a consultant. Or it's because of a seminar they went to that didn't work, you know. They're looking for areas to point blame when this is the blame. The blame was you. You weren't ready. You weren't ready for what may happen. You know, when you when you come out of a, a, a master's education in business and then you go out and you go get a, a fancy corporate job, you understand the parameters to growth, right? right. There is growth, but you also know that like your security is only as good as the success of the company. If the company starts to to tank, your paycheck is on the line. Well, people, a a lot of times owners go in so passionate and so driven that they fail to look at that. Or they started another gym that's doing well and they realize like, oh man, I want to go do this for myself because I'm going to make more money. I'm going to be the owner. And you go, wait a minute, you know how hard it is for that gym to get to the math and its model to a place where it's paying you 50, 60, 80, 120 grand a year, you could go try to get a general manager job at an Equinox and they may not even be able to pay you. And that's a billion dollar company. So you think in a small, what's the average, I mean, Evan, you know, let's use tribes numbers. What's, if you're willing to share them. Sure. What's the the average gym owner at tribe generating in gross revenue a year?
0: I mean, gross revenue for us, it definitely spans. I mean, it's tough because I think What's it's better as a, it's be, yeah, it's better as a median. I think because you're going to get high performers right, they're going to skew it, uh, and so the median for us is, oh, geez, probably between, probably between somewhere in ten, twenty thousand a month. So you're looking at yeah, let's say two hundred, two hundred fifty k, two hundred twenty k max. Two
1: hundred twenty k. So if you don't mind, and again we're jamming right, so this may not yeah. have been the core topic, but we can do math. I'm not very good at it, but we'll do it. If 220K and how many gyms?
0: That's probably median. Yeah. Um, uh, we have right now, we're just under
1: 1,000. Okay. Call it 1,000. So that's <laughs> a number to take from. Let's say 1,000 gyms, $20,000 a month on the high side of a medium is what these gyms are generating in revenue. Okay? If 20,000 a month is the number, and if you don't mind, I and mean, we can edit out any any low points in this conversation, but Maybe we're hitting on something here. No, it's okay. If if your rent on that is in a model of twenty percent, let's just assume some of these are in smaller, lessly dense, less dense populated areas, so they're not they're not fitting the thirty percent of your revenue is your is your rent. Let's just say so maybe the rent is four or five grand. Maybe they're twenty percent. Let's just say five grand. Then you go in there and you say they've got to be paying a thousand in insurance and whatnots if they're properly insured, right? And you start breaking down, breaking, breaking down,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? The numbers, at the end of the day, five to six thousand. This is on revenue. Then you got to take your tax sales taxes out, Pay right? Which is yep. right? Depending on the state you're in. If you're in New York, you're getting crushed. Other states maybe not as bad, but out of twenty thousand, if you take five thousand rent and then insurance six then you're up at ten thousand maybe you're only left with six thousand a clean six thousand bucks seven thousand bucks now you gotta start paying people right and paying for things and maintenance and equipment and if you put a hundred thousand in your gym you gotta pay yourself back eventually right people forget they spend 200 grand invest in their business they start taking home five grand and think that they're like net profit positive and they're crushing and it's like hold on you just took two hundred thousand in savings. How long is it going to take for you to make that back, plus your salary?
0: Right. Yeah, and that's I think something. the bigger thing too is is the expectation going in is, is sometimes that fitness facilities are going to have a fifty percent margin and you're or
1: forty percent margin, and you're not even going to come close. I mean, you not going to come close. And it's not, you know if you're at thirty, you know, people, you know, a lot of us. Let's. I'm gonna I'm gonna classify myself as one of those guys that's out right. there giving business advice, right? Here I am giving it. Um, you know, we all say you should shoot for 30%, but some super high performers are only at like 18 to 20 because they're running really fat. They've got a lot of expenses for growth or they're in a high, you know, high cost area. But if you can make that margin work, that's great. You've just got to be really careful. You've got to save your money properly and know that on a couple rainy days, you're dipping deep into your pockets. So you know, I think it's super important for people to understand that it, unless their ego is so big that they're going to break this average number of a thousand gyms doing 20 grand a month, that that's what they're going into. It's not as sexy as everyone makes it sound, right? Like there are coffee stands that generate better revenue at better margins, uh, you know, in 220 square feet than what a fitness facility generates because of its OPEX of what it takes to keep it functioning. You know, you need 2000 square feet at a minimum to get enough people in to generate the revenue to be able to make a living. Correct. Well, 2000 square feet, maybe in in a, a low densely populated town is easy to find, but as population grows and economy thrives, it becomes more and more difficult. You know, I'm in Nashville and now, and 10 years ago, yeah, you could get, Prime real estate on a major street for dirt cheap. They're like, ah, oh, man, it's easy. You can get six thousand square feet there for nothing. By the way, now our current rates match that of suburbs of LA. You know, you're at three to four bucks a foot. That's that's thirty-six to forty-eight a year. You know, so for the for people listening, just for math, if you had five thousand square feet, that means at minimum, if you're in a decent area, non-warehouse, on five thousand square feet you're spending 15 to 20 grand without batting an eye on just rent. Just rent. And so I think that's an important conversation to have and that was a little bit of a long-winded answer but for people to realize that you know a business consultant can't fix that, that fundamental problem you have in your business which might be that you're in a bad location with a, a extremely expensive lease in an area that can't drive enough traffic. To stimulate the internal economies of your business because what happened was you went in firing before you were ready and that's that's sometimes a hard truth for people to listen to I would rather give more people who asked me JP what's advice you'd give me if I had a pocket full of money and wanted to get into your get into the health and wellness industry I would tell them you're not ready to get in it yet right you've got to go to school,
0: school yeah, how do you get ready
1: yeah, school might be apprenticing in a very successful location and understanding the ins and outs of how they operate and how they run a front desk and how they run systems and procedures and how they manage teams and how they have hard conversations, how they hire and fire people, how they deal with uh, suppliers and vendors and accounts receivables. What happens when you know members don't pay? Are you, a, are you a, a, a credit company and you chase people or do you let them go? Like all these little nuances that, you know, you didn't learn at a 48 hour weekend of getting your certificate to be able to coach a certain style of fitness. And so I think it's really important. Even if you were great and in, in, in successful at, at, in in a in another business, in real estate, whatever it may be, it doesn't always translate overnight. You know, for real estate, you got to go take a course. You have to take a lengthy test. You have to understand certain laws and bylaws of your local, your local and state laws. Like, these are things that, they, that you have to do, which we're unregulated. It's the wild west. Money gets you in, but money doesn't get you knowledge.
0: So yeah, you talked a lot about not being ready. And so what I'm hearing is to be ready, you know, basic, basic fitness facility fundamentals and having that knowledge is key. What else is key? Having enough saved in, in the bank in order to do it?
1: Yeah, because business is a gamble, right? And Evan, I'm a guy who likes analogies because, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't a super book smart kid. I was able to remember things on pictures and analogies helped me build pictures. So I, you know, I apologize to those who get annoyed by analogies, but I like to use them. And, you know, business is a gamble, right? And just like the laws of blackjack tell you, if you follow the rules of blackjack, you will win 51% of the time. Now, let me explain that you have to follow them 100.00% of the time. Not 99.9% when you think you're on a hot streak and have a good hand. You have to follow the rules of the cards and the betting game. Now you keep your hand out. Then you pull back a chip. You put, it's all in percentages and hands, right? If you can follow it, you will win 51% of the time. But here's the magic trick. If you don't have enough money in your pocket to stay at the table for the other 49%, you'll go broke before you win that's blackjack. Okay. So our business is very much like blackjack. If you go in now, I'm not saying I know the rules, but there are rules that allow you to win more often than not in business. Okay. They allow you to win at least 51% of the time. Now those victories might be small and they may not mean that you're going to have 10 years of a successful track. Okay. They're small victories, but if you don't have enough money in your pocket to stay at the table long enough, you will go broke before you hit your hot spring, which means some gyms open and they have success overnight, overnight meaning two in by month two, by month six, by month 10, they're on a roll brick LA open. And by month three, we were break even by month 16. We had earned back all the money we invested and we were in the net game. We were a, considered a, a success. Okay. But we had followed all the rules from the beginning. Now, in that same analogy and the same, and within the same explanation, many people are opening with this grandeur idea that they're going to make it. So they've just enough money for six months. But what happens after six? What happens when you open and you didn't realize that it's $6,000 for HVAC and you didn't account for that? And now you need it. Well, that took away another month's worth of runway, of churn rate, burden, whatever you want to call it in the world of finance, and you have to look at the hard truth. Do you have enough money to survive for X number of months? And after that number of months, what are you going to do? Are you willing to pull the plug? Do you have to go borrow? Do you have to go beg? Do you have to go steal? What do you have to do? And in our industry, there's so many people that are coming in with just their toes in the water, but a lot of money and they're keeping second and third jobs. So that comfort or what is actually a level of discomfort is allowing them to sustain this basically failing hand they are, they're getting just enough money to continue to lose hands then before they start their winning streak right they get up and leave the table and go to sit at another table and what do i mean by that well they change their brand name or they think it's the CrossFit brand that's the fault or it's their head coach or they need to t- do more barbell, or less barbell, or they need to add another training floor. They get to 100 members, and they're almost at break-even, and they think they're, they're too packed. They need to expand, right? These are all means. They haven't won yet. They haven't won yet. They're just riding out better hands. But that low streak is potentially around the corner at any moment.
0: So, so bottom line it for me, what should people do before getting
1: into and opening a gym? What should they do? So uh, this is what I said. If you came to me and said, JP, I've got 100,000 bucks and I want to open a gym, what's the best piece of advice you can give me? And I would say, take 50,000 bucks and go give it back to whoever you borrowed it from. Take the other 50,000, go to Vegas and bet it on black and roulette. Because you have 50, fifty-fifty chance of winning, winning money that's going to give you better odds than what you're doing going in and opening a gym with a hundred thousand bucks. Now, here's the beauty. If you say, Hey JP, fuck you, man, I'm going to go do it anyways. And I say, you're right. That's the first personality trait needed to make it not just in this business, but any business because I'm one of a million knows you're going to get on the road to success. So if you let some asshole like me, Deter you from getting into this business, you had no shot at it. That's first. If you take the advice and you run, then you made a good decision. So you're not wrong either way because it's that difficult. Now, if you came to me and said, JP, I have a a, a degree in business management, I spent four years at uh, pick any of the successful boutique. Boot camp or Globo gyms out there, understanding how to build teams, how to develop trainers, how to understand the, the mindset of members, how to troubleshoot problems, how to deliver customer service with excellence. I really dove deep into a lot of these things beyond just the product on the floor, right? Because that's that's intangible. Like whether you're teaching barbell or box jumps or f-45 or boot camp it doesn't matter it's just the end result is fitness how you get there it's you know a burrito with rice or beans is still a burrito so um let's just call it what it is but if you came to me and told me that you had already done all these things to get ready then i would then i would look at you and go then this makes sense as an investment into your career you've done all of the study needed to go in fully prepared for what the outcome might be. You're ready to troubleshoot the thousand issues that arise. You're able to troubleshoot a bad lease negotiation deal. You understand zoning and compliance. You've gone through all of this stuff to get yourself ready, right? And now maybe you're not totally certain how to aim because you're gonna figure it out as you go on like what best kind of practices in the product is, which is still okay, but at least you're ready. You're grounded. And now you can start firing and before you run out of bullets you'll be focused and you're ready to aim and to me i know that's a little bit broad and vague but to give you a better answer to say that there's a a one correct one i would be lying
0: yeah well i think you know i guess simplistically it's it's having the knowledge and basic fundamentals of a business and b the industry you're going into. And I think having a hands-on approach to having either experience in a coaching staff or admin level role at a previous facility, of course, that's that's going to help long term. I do think there is some level where you have to say, you know, um, I'm not going to know 95% of the business st- side of things until I get in there and and really just experience the battle for myself Right, but I think there is like a a challenge with waiting too long becomes this anti anti uh, anti action campaign against yourself where you you are prepared enough to say, "Okay, I know how to wield a weapon." You know, I've I've properly gone to the gun range, or at least I've I've certainly studied it for
1: long enough that that's two different statements. The
0: unpredictable.
1: That's two different statements you're making because again, that's one of the issues of this industry is you're saying that it's okay to go in there. prepared enough but they say what is what is the uh villain of excellence the villain of excellence is being okay with good enough good enough doesn't get you to equinox good enough doesn't get you to become a soul cycle of success good enough doesn't get you to be uh uh you you know a ray dalio uh uh pick anyone who you look up to good enough didn't work for them right uh you know, we'll just use them for the example because they're global names. Like, do you think The Rock understands good enough? He doesn't. You know, before he starts a tequila company, which he started, I guarantee you, he brought on the greatest minds in the world of consumable uh, liquor. liquor. He went to the, 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 the best minds out there, right? Now, he's got the resources and the means, but he didn't go in there good enough just relying on his name, okay? Take somebody like Kevin Hart. He did when it came to supplements and it didn't have the impact he thought it would, because it was just good enough. If I throw Kevin Hart on it, it'll work. It's not the way it is. So I think that, and if you don't mind, I'll be your devil's advocate. I think that in our industry, they allow that. It allows that because at times it's so easy to get it. Could you go into corporate America? Could you go into Goldman Sachs? Could you go into JP Morgan with the mindset you just said that an owner is allowed to open their business? Could you um, be a hedge fund manager?
0: You could, could, you know, I think you could get an entry-level role thinking that you have the fundamentals,
1: right? And Okay, let's, let's break that down. Entry level, which right. gets you, which makes, in those jobs, you're working 90 hours, 80 to 90 hours a week. You're basically making less than minimum, minimum wage, right? Because even if you're making- Not a JP Morgan, but a point, point taken. 100% you're making less than minimum wage. I know plenty of people work there, and at entry-level jobs, if you're working 80, 90 hours a week, break down your- Salary divided by 80 hours a week.
0: I don't know. I feel like those finance folks, they, they're going in at entry level roles that are, that are quite high paying. But I, I think the, the, the point being made, right,
1: is I think it's just a, a differentiation. Now, now, what? So, so now, let, 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 let me finish this point. So now, if you go in there and you just kind of fake it till you make it, you have people investing in you, right? You're, but now, at, at entry level, are you managing a portfolio?
0: uh i'm not sure i don't think they give those folks the no, management of anything. you're not yeah. because
1: you're not ready you're not ready how could they entrust someone else's money in you when you're 98 percent certain right you need full certainty so if we were to you manage our money to open a business which is a gym you're allowing yourself to manage it with a high level of uncertainty so you get where i'm going with this but when you get into that world into corporate america those levels of uncertainty don't allow you to to, and by the way when you start to have areas of where you start tripping and failing what happens you get fired i was gonna say learn and iterate but yeah fired's another option you get fired so in our business if you're your own owner you get fired you got to dip into your pocket and learn from your own mistakes and i know listen i know this is a hard angle But I've got to do it to allow people to see the other side. It's not all unicorns and roses, right? Not everybody is going to make it. And it's important for people to understand that. I've got, I've had hard times. We've had locations shut down. So that's a truth. I'm not just saying, oh, I haven't had those hardships, but others will. I'm saying I've had them. Everybody's having them. So don't be shocked. And don't just look for someone's voice, the next seminar, a new book to be like, oh, this book is going to make me, is going to change my business.
0: Right. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's high level, right? It's the seeking of knowledge. I mean, because as you point out, you know, they're not ready. And so having the fundamentals to me means having a very, uh, I think a, a comprehensive understanding of a, the business financial side and knowing how to price your memberships appropriately, knowing how to price your services appropriately. How many members you need to get in order to get to that that point, um, but yeah, I think encountering any type of new education that you're going to find through through any type of uh, you know one time offer or recurring mentorship, I think is all predicated on the fact that you understand the fundamentals first. So the, I, that that makes total sense with me.
1: What um I'm doing one thing for you. What are you doing? So you know, I just researched while we were talking there, but, you know, if you take a $120,000 salary at entry level at a JP Morgan, yeah, it's 80 hours a week. You're basically making about 28 bucks an hour, you know, uh, at 80 hours a week. And that's at, a, that's at a six figure salary. Right. So, you know, I just want to correct myself for the sake of the record. That's not minimum wage, but you know, in the professional world at 28 bucks an hour at working 80 hours a week, you know, that's, that's a lot of work.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think expanding those margins becomes like the the net goal of everybody past six eight months. Um, Okay, good. So I think let's, let's transition off of uh, uh, this conversation into a different one. So define, um, you know, you've obviously had a really good model, I think for replicating across multiple locations. So high level, I think there's a really good understanding of, what you guys do really well at brick relative to other competitors. So the question I had was, you know, defining a great gym in your eyes, but I think I'd rather rewrap that in a way that you, I think, I, I think makes more sense. So in bricks world, I think what brick defines as a great gym is a brick gym. So can you talk to me about bricks differentiation between you guys and other competitors in the market, whether it's, Chains, or whether it's uh, you know privately owned facilities, and if you kind of think about it in that way, and then just kind of talk to me about what you guys at Brick believe and think you really do well, and what what embodies the Brick mentality of the Brick Nation, as you called it.
1: Sure, I, I think first thing is you have to you have to always believe that you're really good, but you're not the best, right? Because if you believe you're the best, uh, ultimately you'll become what they call complacent or satisfied. Right. So we always say we can be happy, but we're not satisfied. So we're happy with the level of greatness we're at, but we're not the best. So we're always going to be trying to evolve, educate ourselves on a level of service and excellence on how we can do what we do better. How can we train our staff better? How can we interact with uh, our members better? How can we communicate better via email and in person? How can we hone our coaching skills? Whether you've been with me for one month or for 10 years, Right, we just finished our year-end conversation with our leadership team, and it was the same thing. We need to get we need to get with our our most senior coaches and have a refresh refresher course. Let's make it new and exciting again. What are new tactile components in our coaching concepts that we can use for our most senior coaches to get it new and fresh again? Because you've been walking out onto that same stage for ten years. So how do we? How do we make the end result, which is a pleased audience that lasts a lot and really wants to come back again tomorrow, but they need to see a new act because they've seen the same one for 10 years. So how do you constantly make the act fresh but make, still keep it genuine, right? And so that's a mindset that I think that BRIC does very well and keeps us as one of the leaders in the industry. <clears throat> and I think there are many, many, I use the term many, what does that actually quantify as but i think there are others who also do it well they are focusing on the things that are helping their business grow and doing it very well now again there's not one right answer oh you should be focusing on coaching development well some gyms have a very good coaching staff so they need to focus on marketing and sales some gyms crush at marketing and sales but their coaching sucks and so one thing that if you ask it's what brick does well is we know what we know and we know what we don't know and that changes seasonally or quarterly or yearly means that we know as we evolve where we start to lose our grasp and aren't doing it as well as we used to and then bring it back in and constantly you know you're constantly trying to grab at things and pull them back in if this is your core source of greatness pieces will fall off as you focus on other areas and it's okay but as long as you're keeping a strong peripheral and your team is looking out for you, you can, you can always be working on rehabbing those and patching them in and, and making them even better and stronger. And I think, you know, even if that was a little bit vague, I really think that that's what we do well, you know, is understanding that um, we're, we're, we're striving for excellence, right? What is, what does that mean? You know, it means that we're going to get a, uh, better than 98% rating from our members when they come in and out of the door of having a great experience. That is our excellence, as right? As a
0: review or as an NPS score, or how, how are you measuring that review? Or how are, how are you measuring the 98% number?
1: So uh, again, you know, that's a great question because everybody can try to sell a, me- a, a metric, but you know, we think that we have to look at it on staff. Uh, how, is your staff happy? Are your members happy? And is your bank account happy? Right? And if you've got this kind of harmonious flow in there, then I would say you're on the road to excellence, right? Because there are companies that are thriving financially, but they're, maybe their product is shit, and it's only a matter of time before there's a collapse. We've seen that happen. Maybe there are companies that have thriving product and thriving financials, but there's a company culture that's about to implode on itself. Like we've seen it Uber, you saw it at Zappos early on. Like we hear about it in, in these different models of businesses. And so I think that if you can constantly be striving for this harmonious flow of your team being happy and positive and upbeat and striving for greatness, your membership base, seeing that and it's trickling into the culture and they want to be a part of it. You know how do you quantify that? I don't know. They stay. They come early. They stay. They stay late if they can. They sometimes help clean stuff up because they feel a pageantry and a connection to the location beyond just fitness. There's other markers that are maybe not um, not uh, attainable and touchable, but you can kind of you can smell them and taste them. And then there's the financial harmony, right? Your your bank account is growing, which means if your bank account is growing memberships are st- uh, signing up. And if it's growing you know, uh, with a nice trajectory and you have a good EFT growth, then at least you know your retention is good because that's important, right? If you're just signing up 100 every month and losing 99, you, you're not in a harmonious situation. You have what we call an open back door, right? There's a leak. People are walking in, experiencing it, and walking out. We need to create a revolving door. They walk in, they love it. They walk out. They walk in. They love it. They walk out. You know, and so uh, that type of harmonious flow between staff members and money you need to really find a good balance. And when any one of them takes too far of a lead, that's when I feel like you'll see somewhere else will will hurt.
0: Yeah, and I think there's also something to be said for you know numbers tell a story. Most metrics uh, have, have a story that might require other metrics to get the full picture, right? But some metrics, and I think that's the goal of something like an NPS score, a net promoter score for those who don't know, which which can just be a zero to 10 review on, you know, how how likely are you to recommend your experience or, or this company to your friends. Um, I agree with you that I don't think there is a pie in the sky ultimate number that that quantifies anything that's going to be relevant enough to make huge positive sweeping changes. Um, and it's never enough, right, to have one data point that you you key off of, and if that's off, then everything must be off. Um, but I do wonder that the story you're looking for, I think, is that harmony, as you mentioned, between member staff, and, and, you know, your bank account. But because metrics, a lot of metrics tell a story, do you have a metric that maps to that story you're looking for? Maybe it's member engagement, maybe it's something else. How, what are those listening indicators that you kind of look for to help determine, all right, I have a good, this feels like anecdotally, I'm seeing a lot of folks, Oh, this is the same group. Is this the exact same class from yesterday? What was that? 18 of the 22 people in that class were all from yesterday. I mean, if you're feeling that and you're feeling like your coaches are stoked and they're very happy and you obviously your EFTs are increasing, you know, you probably have a really good sense for what the business is doing, but are there numbers you're actually listening to tactically and saying, this number is off based on what I'm seeing.
1: Absolutely. And that's a, that's a good point you bring up. And so I, I believe that businesses in different states of where they're at in their life cycle have those different metrics that tell the story that they need to listen to. Currently at Brick, we like to look at as all gyms should, I believe that retention rate is one that's important because if you're losing more than you're gaining, You've already got a problem. Your ship is sinking. So let's say you get past that. Now you look at the next next metric and you say, okay, well we're gaining more than we're losing. But what's that look like in a period of a year? Because if we're signing up ten and we're losing eight, right? Which is ninety six in a year, and that that you've lost, and you have a hundred members you're losing like 90-something, 98% of your total membership base in a period of a year. So there's different ways to look at your retention percentages, which might be helpful for some to look at. What Brick particularly looks at, which is a very unique number, and I think, I think a lot of people need to um, take a step back and, and have some focus on this number, is if you have 100 EFTs, let's just use EFTs for the sake of, of tracking. If you have 100 EFTs, out of those – how many are participating in a class in any given week or month? Because now you'll know how many unique visits you have. Kind of like a metrics for a website. Sure, unique visitors. Like, yeah, like what's your visitor, what's your visitor, uh, what's your visitor metric? I don't have a fancy term to sound smart on this. Oh well, no, it's okay. I'll do it for you. In the, in the, in
0: the software world or in startup world, a lot of people just refer to it as monthly active users. And that's for companies that just have an app, right? But yeah. it almost serves the same thing.
1: Yeah. I was trying to come up with something a little cuter for the, for the fitness. <laughs> yes. You know, just, Especially it's like what it is. It's just a unique visitor in a month. Right. And how many of those are you getting? And one cool thing that we saw, because here's what we noticed. We weren't, we weren't signing up as many, because we are really at a, uh, uh, we're you know, right now, Brick LA is in a phase where we go from, like, almost being capped based on sheer size and members uh, operational capacity, uh, yeah. capacity, to we dip, and then we grow, and we dip, and we grow, and we hone things in, and when we find with some price increases and some polishing, we actually can Um, maintain a certain level of revenue even when a certain level of active user drops or our EFT drops, which is fine. So one of the things that we recognized when reviewing numbers was although our total EFT might be down a bit, our actual active user in a month was through the roof. We were having, and let's just use the sake of numbers, 100. 98 of every 100 EFTs we had were showing up to class every month. Yeah. Then when we scaled that back to every two weeks, we still stayed in the high 90 percentile. Yeah. So if if you think about it, if you had 98 of 100 of your members showing up every 14 days, that means you're doing something right. If you can keep 90 of 100 of your EFTs showing up every seven days, you have a huge active participation. They're more likely to stay than they are to quit. Because, you know, in one of my, in one of my presentations, which you might have heard at iron and mortar, is that, um, you know, in the reactivation or renewal concept is that your members are all one bad experience away from quitting. Even your best member that's been with you the longest amount of time right? They're one experience away from quitting. And, you know, with that note, if they're showing up, yes, they're more likely to have that that experience, but it also means they're more likely that they're having a really good experience in some capacity. And so, to me, understanding the metric of your EFTs that are participating in a period of 30 days, 14 days, seven days, I think you're tracking a very strong maybe metric that many aren't looking at which is active participation
0: yeah yeah i think that's a very good leading indicator for sure um do you have any metrics in place for uh evaluating coaches i get or i guess yeah yeah that's that's what i want to know do you have anything in place right now that other than i don't know quarterly or annual reviews however you guys do it in terms of determining coaching happiness because you mentioned it's very important yes the member retention side but almost more important and more noteworthy is coaching retention uh do you have a way of kind of measuring that either in a in a gym management software or offline somewhere in a spreadsheet now
1: let me just uh, understand a little bit better evan are you saying coaching retention on the co- the coach themselves and their happiness in the organization or the member's response to the coach
0: a good question. So good follow-up. Um, I guess the way I was interpreting it is member happiness as determined by you know active participation month mm-hmm. over month. Staff happiness as determined by either coaching reviews, coach to business, coach to you, uh, and their level of excitement in the job.
1: You mentioned having an wow. annual annual conference, sure. getting excited,
0: getting people excited.
1: Okay, great, great question. Okay, and I'm glad we could clarify. So over the ten years that Bric's been open, we have found that it it has become more and more difficult to track member happiness by participation in any given hour block. Because as population and density grows and and time goes on, people evolve, right? So Evan, as a member, five years ago, let's say as a single guy, Evan, he could come every day at 4 p.m. Well, what happened was is now Evan got a girlfriend. So now he comes at 6.30 a.m. because he comes after work, he spends time with his girlfriend. Now Evan got married. So now Evan, or Evan got a new job. So Evan's schedule is going to constantly change, right. right? Some areas more than others. Some people more than others. But there is, a, that, there is that inherent variable. It exists, right, in, metric, in your metric. In your data set for Evan, there are variables. Your health your wellness your personal life all these other things okay so now it's hard to over a long period of time uh create that data point on jp's level of coaching if evan stops showing up so just by evan's attendance i don't have enough information to make the right decision so what do i need to do i need to ask evan right so we have found for brick that we get a better understanding of information from doing regular surveys to our members and creating a relationship where they understand that we listen. So for their honest feedback in anonymous surveys, so they can just speak openly, they'll give us feedback. We will list all 13 coaches, favorite, et cetera, et cetera, like six multiple choices, and then a comment box. And we will, for two weeks, hammer it to our members. Please answer. Please answer. We need your feedback. Answer these questions. This is how we grow. If there's somebody you like or dislike, we need to hear it. We let them know straight up. Now they get in there. And of course, you're going to have your members that are very vocal, full, you know, they're going to give you a dissertation on why they like or dislike someone. So, but again, like with anything, when you have data, you can analyze, You can you can make better more educated decisions and then what we find is people we think that that are uh like let's just say in la music you know we've got coaches who love a certain genre of music and it drives me crazy so i can't just go up and say hey x change your genre of music and because that's not a good argument if it fits our core values it's clean lyrics it's family friendly. It's maybe just not a genre I like. I can't just do what I, 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 because we're a we. We're a team. And so when we do a survey, you find out like, oh, nobody's actually made a negative remark on the music. So it's, it's, not, a, it's not a discussion point. It's a, me, it's a me issue, not an us issue. Or you can say, oh, man, somebody who we thought people liked because they've been here forever has become complacent and members are actually talking about it oh, I love so-and-so, but I find they spend most of their time doing X, Y, and Z. So, you know, they want to protect them because they love them. They've been there five, six, eight, ten 10 years, but you're starting to find little bits and pieces. And if you can do that across 60, 80, 120, 400 members, and you can do it in a period of a year where you've done it four times, you can now aggregate enough information to make real decisions. Now, if you've got a glaring, terrible coach, a lot of times that will surface itself, right? The three-headed mon, the ugly, you know, three-headed monster who is sweet on the floor, but an asshole to the team and not complacent with leadership, like, they'll eventually surface. Right. But as you're talking about, Evan, our metric, we find, comes better from doing actual uh, customer surveys, really engaging. And then if I can make this even longer-winded, is, is going into what we call TTI meetings, taking temperature and interest, which can be in the lobby at the front desk in the parking lot phone call by email, but it's really getting in interactive with a particular member. Hey, Evan, you know, you've been coming one week, one month, 10 years. You know, you always come at 630 AM. How's the quality? You feel like it's maintaining, Like, And what Evan will normally tell us is like, man, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I love my group, my 630 AMers. We made our own t shirts, you know how it goes. They create their core community. But we find that um, whoever's doing the night clothes is not prepping enough towels for us. So when we come in the morning, we're running out of hand towels. That's a good note. It's maybe something that Evan wouldn't verbalize all the time because he's he's diehard, but we need to know about it. So these are things, right? Things that Evan has taken on as just complacent expectations, we need to know about because the next person, It might be okay with Evan, but it's not okay with Yvonne, right? Or Jason or Rick. So we need to get to the core of these, and we find that through TTIs and surveys, we can get more interactive with the customer in that regard than just looking at a data set on a software that says, oh, Evan came for four months at 6 a.m., and now he doesn't come anymore, so 6 a.m. must have an issue. No, let's get to the – let's actually ask Evan.
0: Yeah. Very good point. And I, I wish we actually had more time. I, I have probably one or two more questions before I'd love to get your feedback on, on, you know, the vision of the future and where you'd like to take brick and, and you know, some of the challenges maybe you're experiencing right now that you're trying to solve. So I guess just as a pivot, um, do you guys do presently and I didn't hear it before. So excuse me if I missed it, anything, uh, with online fitness right now, any type of remote coaching or anything like that? Do we do it? Yeah. No. Do you have any interest in doing it or do you have thoughts on, on that market? Because there's, there's a lot of interesting things happening there that I'm certainly uh, you know, trying to keep my ear to the, the grinds or my, my ear to the market on and talk to our business owners who are looking at deploying um, you know, online fitness as a, as a way of just another
1: offering in some ways. Yeah. So you, know, you talk about let's just revert back to one of our original conversations. So I'll use my own, my own schtick as an example. It's not something I know a lot about right? Uh, as far as the digital distribution world when it comes to uh, fitness instruction. Now, when you say, what do you mean, JP? You've been coaching fitness and whatever. It's, I, ha- I haven't been passionate enough about it to do enough research. I know who some of the key players are, but I don't know who the real, uh, uh, you know, I don't know what that industry looks like from a, a, a case of attrition and signups and cost, etc. I yeah. have a baseline level of knowledge. I also don't have the resources to do it tomorrow. You know, I don't, I don't, now, could I acquire them in a period of a week? Sure. But it hasn't been something I'm I'm interested enough in to create a foundation. When a lot of people, based on what you say, they go, oh, I'm a fitness instructor. I look good on camera. I'll wear a small t-shirt or I'll show my six pack and I'll go get followers and sell my programming for 19 bucks a month. It's like, to me, that's not enough to start to get involved and start a new business because to do it right, it's gonna cost money. It's gonna take time, effort, and energy away from maybe something you were already doing well. And so to us, like let's say at Brick, could Brick go digital? Sure, did we maybe miss the boat on doing it four or five years ago? Possibly, but we were excelling and doing really well what we were doing. And we saw and have seen and continue to see a lot of success in doing it. So we're kind of focusing on what our niche is that we do nationally and globally very well so now now you say well jp what about you and i go hey Evan, i'm gonna take that same statement and I, i'll even plug it because i'm wearing it you know mm-hmm. and you see at bizwad and this is a new project that we're working on and i'm developing which is i've seen a lot of success in fitness as a matter of fact most of my adult success has been somewhere linked into fitness and membership based business So I can speak, I believe, from a level of expertise. I did it for almost 10 years in martial arts, and I'm now on 10 years in in the fitness business. So I've proven it in different vertical markets in health and wellness, all right? So I can speak from a place, I believe, not of cockiness, but of confidence. I've made a lot of mistakes, and I've done a lot of things right. So where I want to take my evolution next is how can I help the most amount of people for the least amount of money? The digital market is the way to do it because you can have the largest amount of reach for the littlest amount of time, effort, energy, and money, which means that that can translate to the least amount of money the consumer needs to spend to do it. So because of my bad taste in my mouth from a lot of these consultants in our industry, charging what I believe is too much money and we could have a whole new-
0: That's a whole different conversation, That's right.
1: Different conversation is how can I find a price point That is fair to stimulate a new a business for me to get into that I can do well, do it professionally, do it with passion, do it well trained, well executed. Right? I can be ready, I can aim, and I can fire with almost sheer ninety-nine percent focus. And that's to come out with at Bizwatt, where I can cultivate, I can aggregate, I can bespoke to a certain degree. All of this curated information for owners out there and managers at a price point that isn't eating into their top or bottom line so at 19 bucks a month you can get licensed information scaling lease negotiation actual tactile documents videos and practical information from me and from Marty my partner who has done it as well in a, a forum that's easy to understand but it's not $500 a month. It's not five grand up front. We don't need to take a therapy call every month where you're going to tell me you're doing something that is obvious you're not doing it. But you know you need to tell me you're doing it so they don't rip into you. Right. You know what I mean? I've been there. I've had 50 consulting clients paying tons of money. And out of them, even when you get the numbers, they, most of them will lie. They want to tell you they're doing something. And maybe they are partially, yeah. You got in the pool and you swam laps, but did you try to have a perfect stroke? Did you integrate your feet? What was your time trial? Like you didn't you you were in the pool, but you weren't trying to swim with excellence. You were just swimming. You were just paddling. And so there's a difference. So you know was that a uh, you know is that a shameless plug of sorts? You know, but it's the truth. You know, you ask the digital world. I'm not interested in being a um, uh, you know, another fish in a very large competitive pond of sharks.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, that, that sounds like an exciting venture. I congratulate you. When is, when is that officially launching? Is it officially launched? Uh, how, how is the rollout going and, and where can people go to find you other than that handle? Do you have a website as well?
1: Yeah, it'll be, we'll be, will you know, our digital presence will launch in the new year. You know, we're kind of using, I'm a branding guy, as you know. And so, so you know, like, I, and a part of it will be screencast. You know, I'm screencasting my my development of the business. So I have a, a screencast of me creating this logo. I didn't spend thousands of dollars to do it. I created this. Yeah. You know, uh, I went on rush order tees and made this sweatshirt for a few bucks so that it could look professional. You know, and this is all part of that educational tool that it doesn't take tens of thousands of dollars to just look sharp and be sharp, to be ready. And so we're launching because it's cute. 2020 also has that play off a of 2020 vision, right? 2020 oh, right. focus. And so 2020 is a good launch 2020 point.
0: 2020 focus. Okay, I'm gonna take that one. That one's now tribes also. I'm gonna share. That's gonna be in our next ad campaign.
1: <laughs> hey, it's all good because at least we haven't recorded where it came from, so.
0: <laughs> That's right, I'll pay you 4% finder's fee.
1: Uh, I, you know, don't pay me in it, just, just pay me in doing good for, for those that you service. That's all we yeah. need, right? Because yeah, the better absolutely. your clients do, the more they can afford to um, take on ancillary products like mine, the more I can pay others better. It's the circle of economy. We all win.
0: Absolutely. JP, listen, I, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for, uh, for, you know, syncing up with us. I know uh, it's been a couple, you know, different stops and starts to get here, but I would really appreciate the effort. And like you said, you know, we're all about helping gym owners here at tribe and anytime we can collaborate with someone like yourself who's got that business experience and that background, uh, you know, it just compounds the efforts and the, and the value we can deliver to people. So thank you.
1: Yeah, and thanks for listening. If I, and I, if I can just finish on one quick point, you know, I, I, I hope the listeners can appreciate that there was a couple times in there where you and I didn't agree, you know, and I think the beauty of being in higher levels of business is uh, to take minds who have proven concepts and allow them to disagree because it just proves even further that there isn't only one way. And in the world of consulting, in the world of informative feedback, I think it's really important for owners, whether they're struggling or succeeding to know that it's not JP's word or Evan's word. That's the right way, right? There are general there are general rules, but there's always going to be exceptions. But the idea is to keep yourself consistent in a track, choose your best sets of rules and practices and stick to them. Whether they're the Evan way, the JP way, the, the, I don't want to name any names, but the X way, the this way, it's just about staying focused. And if you start with so-and-so, or you start with this guy or that girl, uh, uh, stay on track and give it 100%. 100%. Whatever you're trying to do, do it with absolute sheer excellence. Strive for it every day. Get up and ask yourself, is this the best I can do with it? Am I taking Evan's message? And trying to work it at its absolute finest, most nuance level, if I can make up a word, down to the sheer T point? Or am I doing the JP interpretation of the Evan way? Because if I'm doing it that way, I can then not blame Evan for it not working, right? And it's like, start, start honing and finiting your level of excellence down to such a pinpoint level of 2020 focus for your 2020 vision, that you're not going to be distracted by excuses or pointing fingers of blame of why your business isn't working. Because ultimately, you opened it with your money and it's your problem. Amen.
0: Appreciate that. Thanks again. And uh, we will definitely be uh, in touch.
1: You got it, Evan. We'll be talking, buddy. Hey, have a happy and a healthy new year to everyone out there. Uh, Wishing all the best. Again. So we
0: hope you found this episode valuable guys. If you did, we would love it. If you could review us wherever you're listening to it, give us five stars, let us know what you liked. Of course, subscribe and share it with your friends. And don't forget to reach out to us. If you'd like to be featured yourself, or if you want to nominate a guest to be on the show next, you can do this by emailing us over at community at tribe.com. And that's tribe dot com. Thanks. And we'll see you later.